0: Call to the Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8 and uh, reading at uh, verse 28 Romans 8:28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For over whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. I'd like just to read these verses again, this time from the Good News Bible. We know that in all things God works for good with those who love him. Those whom he has called according to his purpose. Those whom God has already chosen he also, he also set apart to become like his son. So that the son would be the eldest brother in a large family. And to those whom God set apart he called. And those he called he put right with himself. And he shared his glory with them we look particularly at verses 29 and 30 uh, this evening Paul reminds us in this chapter that there is a purpose running through history and not only is there a purpose running through history but there is also a purpose running through the life Of every child of God. Paul is looking at the big picture. We might say in this chapter. He's looking at the cosmos. In the light of the redemption which Christ has purchased for it. But he's also thinking of the experience of the individuals. People who are followers of Christ. Those who be described as the called according to God's purpose. They know that God is overruling all things, even the adverse things of life. God is causing these things to work together for good. The key phrase, perhaps, in this section is the description of the people of God as the called according to God's purpose in verse 28 and verses 29 and 30 expand on the meaning of the phrase what does it mean to be called what does it mean to be those who are the called literally the called according to his purpose in verse 29 Paul focuses upon the purpose And in verse 30, he focuses upon the calling. So we see here a Paul's expounding those who are called according to his purpose. First of all, in terms of the purpose to which they've been called, and secondly, in terms of the calling with which they have been called. So what we have in verse 29 is as it were a panoramic uh, view you know how sometimes on television we see a great panoramic view of a landscape we see the whole of a valley or the whole of a mountain uh, panorama and then suddenly the camera zooms in on some single object which would be lost in the big picture but the camera zooms in on it and that's what Paul is doing here verse 29 we have the big picture we have the panorama we have the cosmic sweep of God's purpose for his people and then in verse 30 the camera zooms in to individual experience, to the experience of the people of God so first of all the panoramic sweep in verse 29 here Paul deals with the purpose of God. The purpose of God from its origins to its objectives. The purpose of God from beginning to end, from eternity to eternity. From before the world began until after the world will cease to be. The origins of God's purpose are summed up in two words. The word foreknowledge and the word predestination for whom whom he did foreknow, that is God did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son these two words to foreknow and to predestinate they sum up the origin of God's purpose for us and the two phrases which sum up The objectives of this uh, purpose are that uh, Christ's people are called to be conformed to the image of Christ himself. And that, secondly, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. These are the two purposes, uh, or the two objectives of God's purpose. First of all, that Christ's people might be conformed to his life that Christ himself might become the firstborn of many brothers and sisters well then let's say uh, look uh, tonight at the origins first of all the origins uh, of God's purpose it's, uh, the origins of God's purpose are found in the foreknowledge of God and in the predestination of God those God foreknew now we often use the term foreknowledge in the, terms of, in, the, in the sense of foresight and some people understand that to be the meaning here that God because he is omniscient because he is all knowing foresaw he knew beforehand those who in the course of time would come to believe however this is not the meaning of the Greek language which perhaps is, uh, is not accurately translated by the word foreknowledge. The word that is used here is a word which is much more specific. It is used in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, where we read that Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world. The word translated foreknowledge here is translated foreordained in 1 Peter. In that first Peter reference chapter 1 verse 2, the New English Bible renders it as those chosen of old in the purpose of God. There is a sense of of choosing. It is not just a question of knowing in advance or foreseeing, but actually of choosing. There is initiative as well as omniscience. Peter used the word again. Uh, about the death of Jesus, in his speech in Acts chapter two, in the sermon in Acts chapter two, verse twenty-three, but he tells us that Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. The word there is much more than simply a God foreseeing what would happen. Again, I might quote the the, the rendering of the New English Bible. Uh, of that uh, verse it is as follows he had been given up to you by the deliberate will and plan of God and that is the idea uh, the idea of a plan the idea of uh, a choosing a divine choosing and this is the way why I read from the Good News Bible because it renders for the phrase thus for those whom God had already chosen that is the meaning of the term. That is the origin. The origin of God's purpose for us goes back to eternity. Goes back to his election. Goes back to his choice. The second word is the word predestinated. Uh, he also for those who he did for know, he also did predestinate. The verb here means to mark out in advance for a special purpose. That's what the word means. To mark out in advance for a special purpose. I know that sometimes uh, some of you might go to auction sales. Uh, I remember meeting Mr. Jack one night at an auction, a car auction uh, market uh, here in Edinburgh. We often go to auction sales. uh, And if you want to buy wisely at an auction sale, you go before the sale. You look around, and you have a good look at the items which are on sale. You preview them, and you select those you like, you require, and those you like. Those that serve your purpose. Uh, And that is the idea that is uh, behind this word to uh, predestinate, to mark out in advance for a specific purpose. You might go to an auction sale and you see a wardrobe and you say, well, that wardrobe would suit me exactly right and I would like to, 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 to bid for that. And so you bid with much more confidence than somebody who might be bidding blind. Or again, an example might be taken from a shepherd separating some sheep of the flock. Um, you see that sometimes at the, the, the sheepdog trials. Sheep can be separated from others. For a specific purpose. Perhaps they're going to be put on show. Perhaps they're going to uh, be sold uh, separately. And so the idea of setting apart. Of marking out. And setting apart. For a specific purpose. And again that is the rendering that we've noted. In the Good News Bible. So. These are the origins. Uh, These are the origins of God's purpose. The origins are that uh, lie in the foreknowledge of God and in the predestination of God. This action took place before the world began. He chose us, his people, long, long ago. Or as the New English Bible puts it, God knew his own. Before they ever were. That sums it up. God knew his own. Before they ever were. And these two words. To foreknow and to foreordain. Constitute what theologians call the decree. Of God. Or the decrees of God. This is the decree of God concerning his people. Concerning his church. Which will be a great multitude which no one can number which will indeed be uh, which will indeed fulfill his original purpose for the whole uh, human race this is the beginning of God's purpose for his people and so uh, Paul's camera as it were is looking right back beyond the horizon way back beyond the horizon of time looking back right back uh, to the end of time. And then uh, Paul uh, sweeps, uh, or, or his camera moves as it were, to the other end of the. It doesn't close in yet, but it, it, it's, it's covering, it's focusing at the beginning, now it's focusing on the other side, of that, on the end, on the purpose, the objectives of the, the purpose of God. And there are two phrases that we've already noted here which sum this up. First, to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And the second, that he might become the firstborn among many brothers or many brothers and sisters. And the second, the glory of, or the, for the glory of Christ, is the ultimate objective of the purpose of God. The glory of God the Son. And the subsidiary objective is the glorification of the people of God. And the, here Paul's camera is, as it were, looking beyond the horizon at the other end. He's looking uh, beyond the horizon uh, into the future, to the, the glory of Christ, and to the glorification of the people of God. Now let's look at these just for a few moments. First of all, the subsidiary objective, which we have in verse 29 to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the subsidiary objective. That we, we have been called, we have been chosen, we have been saved. In order that we that we might be conformed to the image, to the likeness of Jesus Christ. The word image means a derived likeness. It's the likeness that you have on a coin or on a postage stamp. It's uh, the likeness that we would uh, see in the, the son or daughter of their parents. You see a, a derived likeness, you see a family likeness. And uh, the, 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 the objective of the, the, the plan of salvation is that we who are the people of God might bear the family likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that originally Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. But that through sin, that image was defaced. Not destroyed, but defaced and disfigured. And that Christ has come perfectly made in the image of God, Paul tells us in Colossians 1.15. He has come as the second Adam. He has come as the perfect man. And the objective of God's saving purpose is to restore us to perfect conformity to the image of God in Jesus Christ. And that is a process which theologians call sanctification. It's a process which goes on day by day among those who are justified by faith in Jesus. They are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Day by day. You remember what Paul said, writing to the Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 18: But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, step by step. Sanctification is a process, as they think from Justification, which is an act of God's free grace. We remember from our catechism that justification is an act, but sanctification is a work, a process of God's free grace whereby we are transformed progressively into the image, into the family likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our sanctification will not be complete until we are glorified in heaven until we are called into his presence and that is what glorification will be it will be when we we will be perfectly conformed made perfectly like the Lord Jesus Christ when we shall be shaped in our characters in our personalities as he is shaped when we shall become like him let me just read to you again that phrase in the good news bible those whom God has already chosen he also set apart to become like his son that's translating it in a more dynamic way translating the meaning rather than the words literally he has chosen us in order that we might become like his son and that is the, 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 the purpose of our salvation but it is not the ultimate purpose and this is very important this is the purpose but it is not the ultimate purpose the ultimate purpose is not the glorification of God's people but the glory of the Son of God look at verse say the the, the last part of verse 29 that he that is Christ might be the firstborn among many or, or let me render again from the Good News Bible, so that the son would be the eldest brother in a large family. The first word, firstborn, means the most important, as we have here in the, in the Good News Bible. Would be the eldest brother. Would be the first. Uh, would be the first in the family. That is indeed what the object of God's plan of salvation is. That Christ will be exalted, Christ will be glorified as the first, as the one and only. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul tells us that God's plan which he will complete when the time is right is to bring all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth, with Christ as head. So what is being anticipated here is not simply our being glorified, but a new order being introduced in which Christ is the head. You remember the phrase in Colossians 1.18 that in all things Christ might have the preeminence. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Or Literally, that he might have the first place in everything. He might have the supremacy. And that is the ultimate objective of God's plan of salvation. And we must be careful that we we, we, we don't get involved in a kind of individualistic, over-individualistic concern about uh, the outworking of salvation. Yes, there is uh, the glorification of the people of God, but that is a subsidiary objective, the primary, ultimate, Over all objective is that Christ will be glorified, that he might become the first, the one and only. That he might be the preeminent one in the whole universe. And that there will be a new order, a new creation in which Christ will be the head. Unmistakably, unopposed. this new order. And This new order has already begun. We look forward to that day when it will be consummated. And so Paul gives us this panoramic sweep from what, what beyond the horizon. I was, some of you may know, since I was here last three weeks ago, I visited Peru. And uh, I, part of the, of the the visit there, on the main purpose of the visit, was to participate in the 50th anniversary of the Peruvian Bible Society. And they had a series of, of conferences, of meetings, uh, for, for pastors. We had four days, conference, with 300 pastors attending. And uh, a part of that was a history of the Bible in Peru. And it was interesting how many Scots people have been involved in the work of the church in Peru. And the, the first person who brought the Bible... To Peru was a Scotsman, James Thompson, uh, from Creetown, uh, uh, down in Denfreeshaw. And there was also reference to John A. Mackay, who founded the Free Church work there. And somebody quoted what somebody else had said about John Mackay when he went there in about 1915. This was a a Peruvian intellectual. He said, this man came and he presented to us a horizon without limit what John Mackay was doing was simply sharing with them the vision of Paul and that's what we have in this chapter it's a horizon without limits he goes beyond the beginning to eternity, beyond the end to the glory that is the vision that Paul paints for us here, this great panorama but we must also look at the close up and we must do this uh, quickly In verse 30 the camera zooms in, looks at individual personal Christian experience, moves away from the panoramic cosmic sweep, moves into the experience of the individual. And this is always our starting point, because although God's purpose included us from before the foundations of the world, we came into existence only when we were conceived and born and so our starting point is the starting point of our experience Paul begins with Christian experience in verse 28 and it's interesting that he begins with Christian experience rather than with theological speculation we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. He speaks about those who love God and those who have been called by God. And so Paul here speaks of three basic steps in which God breaks into our experience, as it were, our conscious experience. First of all, he calls us, he says, He calls us. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. There is a general call in the gospel, and that's why it's so important that when we preach the gospel, and when we witness to the gospel, because God calls men and women through the gospel. God does not call people through thin air. It's important for us to remember that. God works through the gospel and it is your privilege and my privilege to be bearers of the gospel and witnesses to the gospel. Who knows when you witness to the gospel whom God will call. And that's what gives our witness so much potential because God wants to call men and women through us. You may find someone who's absolutely hard. And you may feel it's not worthwhile witnessing to them. And so often that has been the case. And yet God has used often that word of witness to call that person. Broken into their experience he has called them. There's a the general call of the gospel summed up in the book of Proverbs chapter 8 verse 4. To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. It is true that many don't believe but some do. And in in some cases many do. And those who believe are those who are called effectually. People believe because they want to. But they did not always want to. And they now want to because God has inwardly, secretly, quietly persuaded them. Unobtrusively. Enabling them to take Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. So unobtrusive indeed is the work of the Spirit that... That we think it is we who took the initiative. Remember how Jesus had to tell his disciples on one occasion, it was not you who have chosen me, but I have chosen you. The first step is that God calls us. The second step is that he justifies us. Whom he called, them he also justified. The word to justify is a legal term. It's a term which is used by a judge in a law court it means to acquit someone who is accused it is the opposite of to condemn it is to acquit it is to declare the person to be just it is much more than forgiveness God declares when we come to Christ that we are completely guiltless that we stand before him covered by the goodness of Jesus Christ And that is why justification is is an act, it's a once for all, a one (coughs) only act. If it was simply that God forgive us, then God has to forgive us again and again because we sin again and again. But this is a legal act in which God declares that those who trust in Jesus Christ are guiltless in his sight. Yes, they're still sinners. That the guilt has been borne by Jesus Christ and a transaction has taken place upon the cross of Calvary, and that they are no longer under condemnation, they're no longer under judgment, they are acquitted, they are free. This follows God's call because we are justified by faith. It is as we respond to the call of God that we are justified. We must believe in order to be justified. And that's why it is so important again for us to challenge people to believe the gospel. It is through believing that people are justified. And the third step that Paul describes here is that he glorifies us. And whom he justified, them he also glorifies. He glorifies us. There's much reference to glory in this chapter, chapter 8 of the letter to the Romans. Verse 17, Paul tells us that uh, the purpose uh, is for, for the people of God that we might be glorified together with Christ. That we might share his glory. In verse 23, he speaks of our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He's already spoken in the previous verse of being conformed to the likeness of God's Son. The word glory has sometimes been translated splendor. It means the radiant presence of Jesus in all his majesty and splendor and sublimity. And we will have the privilege, we who are the people of God, of sharing that glory. Christ sharing his glory with us. The ultimate purpose of our salvation is that the Son might be glorified in the cosmos, in the whole universe. And we our glorification is simply sharing in that glory. That glory shining upon us. And it's notice how Paul speaks here in the past tense quite significantly. Whom we justified them, he also. Glorified. Paul is so certain of this that he declares it as an act which has already taken place, as it were, in the mind of God. That has already happened. And you see, God sees us not only as justified in Jesus Christ, but he sees us as glorified in Jesus Christ. He sees us in terms of what we will become in Jesus Christ. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. And this is why, by the grace of God, we can enjoy complete assurance of salvation. There is between, as we've already said, between justification and glorification, there is the process of sanctification. This is omitted explicitly here by Paul because it is a process rather than a step, to step and Paul is here speaking about steps or specific acts of God but as F.F. F. Bruce the well known commentator says sanctification is glory begun and glory is sanctification completed again we come to the consummation of God's great purpose this time in close up when we will share the glory Christ this is the tremendous this is a tremendous aspect of our salvation and it's an aspect in which we should rejoice which we should boast in a, in, a, in, a, in a humble sense about which we should be excited and enthusiastic this is why we by the grace of God in the church of Jesus Christ are the community of the future We've seen empires rise and fall in history. We've seen the communist empire disappear in our own experience, not just in the last few years. And other empires will come and go. But the church of Jesus Christ is the community of the future. The church is not the community of the past. The church of Jesus Christ is the community of the future. And I believe that we need to communicate that back to the world today. We need to be much more positive than we often are when we speak about the church. Yes, the church has many weaknesses, many scars, many blemishes, which cause us to be ashamed. But at the same time, there's a purpose that God has for the church that will be fulfilled. The church is the community of destiny. And our responsibility is to invite men and women to come not simply into the four walls of a church building but to join the mystical church, the body of Christ by faith in him and become part of this great purpose which Paul delineates for us here with such grandeur, such majesty in this chapter. Through the gospel God is calling men and women and young people too I wonder is there someone here tonight who has not yet responded to that call and perhaps tonight you may feel that God is speaking to you God is touching your heart God is knocking at your door and if God is knocking at your door tonight then I would urge you to open that door I would urge you to respond to that call because the gospel call does not come lightly it's like the migratory instinct you know how just now we've got birds with us that have come from uh, other climes but when the weather will change they will disappear they will go south to the Mediterranean And they go because an an instinct tells them to go. And naturalists tell us that if they resist that instinct, then there comes a time when they can't go, when they lose it. And that's a spiritual parable, I believe. God gives men and women the opportunity to repent and to believe. And if God is therefore knocking at your door, I say, grasp that opportunity tonight. Don't fritter it away. Don't let it go. God is calling. May each and all of us respond to that call by faith in the Lord Jesus and be justified in God's sight tonight. Be accepted by him. And it is possible tonight in an instant of time for the most important change in a human life to take place in your life. You can move out of condemnation into justification just like that through believing in Jesus not something you do not something good work that you have to perform you simply cast your life upon Jesus ask him to take care of you ask him to be your saviour and Lord cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his grace that miracle of the gospel Will take place. May God grant that that may indeed be the experience of all of us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you tonight, we give you thanks for this tremendous picture that we see in this letter to the Romans, and especially in this chapter. We give thanks for this cosmic panorama. We give thanks also for this close up of what it means to become part of God's saving purpose. Grant, O Lord, that tonight we may hear and heed the call of the gospel, that through faith we might be justified, and through being justified be given the hope that one day we will be glorified. Grant, Lord, that that may be our hope, and that we may share that glorious hope with everyone we meet.